Uh, two weeks ago today, I gave uh, part one of uh, the series on emotionally healthy discipleship, and today we're going to be talking about emotionally healthy relationships. Becky and I used to watch a TV series uh, called Doc Martin. It's a British comedy uh, drama series, and uh, I loved all the characters in that series. A lot of really, really interesting characters. And I, I love uh, people. I love to uh, uh, talk with people. I love to watch people. I love to delve into what makes people tick and why we all do the things that we do. And so that, that show was particularly interesting to me because of the, the scope and variety of characters there. Uh, the main character, Doc Martin, was an, an extremely uh, talented and gifted physician, a very, very good physician. However, uh, Doc Martin uh, had virtually no social skills, and his bedside manner was probably rude at best. And so uh, Doc Martin uh, began to... Uh, fancy a local school teacher named Louisa, and for whatever reason, Louisa was kind of attracted to him, and uh, it was quite painful to watch from one episode to the next the difficulty that the doctor had in trying to convey his feelings toward Louisa. And it almost seemed that every single time he had the opportunity to do something or to say something to let her know that he cared for her, uh, he blew it. He just always found a way to mess it up. And uh, so it was comical, but at the same time, it was also kind of sad. And uh, I really feel like that uh, we began to realize why he was the way he was in an episode when his parents came to town to visit and uh, just watching the dysfunction in his parents let you sort of see into his history and his past and it explained a lot as to why he struggled so much expressing his feelings. Well, Doc Martin represents a lot of people. There are many, many people who are not particularly in touch with their feelings and emotions, and then there are people who are not able really to express them, uh, express them in healthy and positive ways. And uh, so it's important for us to understand, if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to be healthy, whole disciples in every part of our being, if we're truly going to follow Christ, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other as we love ourselves, emotional health is necessary. You can't love people well if you are an emotionally unhealthy person. Whenever our emotions are unhealthy and we act them out, 
in behaviors that are unhealthy, we hurt relationships. And when we don't have good relationships, we can't have a good relationship with God. And it's important for us to understand that the Bible teaches that. We're going to read a verse shortly that will essentially say that very thing. If you can't love people, you can't love God. That's what John says in 1 John. So, emotional immaturity is a problem in the church. Many Christians have committed themselves to follow Jesus. Many Christians have determined that they're going to be a disciple of Jesus, but somehow or another, in their idea of what a Christ follower is and what that should look like in their own lives, somehow emotional health gets overlooked and left out or brushed under the rug or the heads turned the other way. It's really important to understand that you may be 30-something, 40-something, 50-something, 60-something, regardless of your age, you can still be immature emotionally. You can still be an emotional infant or an emotional child or an emotional adolescent. There is a tremendous amount of emotional dysfunction in churches and in the lives of Christians. Let's ask ourselves some questions. These are signs of emotional immaturity. Are you driven by the need for instant gratification? In other words, when you don't get what you want when you want it, does that upset you? Do you use others as objects to meet your needs? So then when other people don't do what you want them to do, or they don't meet your needs, you get mad, you get upset. Are you content and happy so long as you get your way? You know, a lot of people are very happy whenever they're getting their way, when everything is going the way they want it to go, we can all be in a good mood, right? The problem is when things do not go your way, when problems arise, when trouble comes in, when there's crisis, when there's stress, when all kinds of things like that come into our lives, many Christians do not act in healthy ways. Do you unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, and trials? Do you usually interpret disagreements as personal offenses? Are your feelings hurt easily? Maybe ask your spouse what they think the answer to that question is. Do you complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic, or do you become passive-aggressive when you don't get your way? Do you tend to often be defensive? Are you threatened and alarmed by criticism? Do you keep score? Do you often blame, divert, pout, or ignore 
when faced with conflict? Do you become preoccupied with yourself? Are you critical and judgmental? These things, all of this, this is not Christ-like. It's not. This is not the way Jesus lived his life. This is not the way he expressed his emotions. And I don't know where any of us as Christians ever got the idea that it's okay to be like this. It is not okay, it is not Christ-like to yell and scream and call names and berate. And yet that's what happens in a lot of homes. There are times when I've counseled people that they've told me they fight every day. That's not what God has called us to. That's not the picture of a Christ-like life. That's not wholeness. And it is not conducive to loving others well. Let's talk about a better way. Let's talk about the way of love for a moment. God is the basis for community. In other words, if we understand the nature of God, if we understand the triune nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and their unity and their oneness and the way that they cohabitate, the way that they get along, the way that they promote one another, the way that they do not compete, they do not compare, they are on the same page and they love well. Perfect love. And so God created man in his image. Love, the word itself, demands relationship. God is a relational being. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're in relation. They are three persons in one. It's important for us to understand that we are relational. We need to love and we need to be loved. We need to give love. We need to receive love. Everybody does. It's been proven that infants and small children will die they will literally die if they do not receive love, attention, and affection. So God made us that way. And so we need to understand the power of love. There is life in love. There is energy in love. There is strength in love. We need love. And Jesus, remember, said that essentially all the law and the prophets, all of God's commands can be summarized or can be uh, seen in the command to love God and to love others. And so if we love well, if we love as God loves, if we love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us, 
And that's exactly what he said, what he told us to do, what he told his disciples in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Love one another even as I have loved you. That's the way that we are to love. Now, if we can learn to love like that, then we can have healthy relationships. We can have loving relationships. And when we learn to love well, our lives become much happier. Life becomes much easier. And we enter into joy and peace and all of these things of God that are beautiful and good. So, love is transforming. Love changes people. Like I said, there's power in love. One idea of love is giving because the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there's this connection between love and giving. And we understand uh, the words uh, charity and charitable. You know, maybe when you give some money to a good cause or you give money to help uh, fulfill a need or something like that. Uh, whenever you're philanthropic, uh, <laughs> whatever I'm trying to say, a philanthropist, philo what am I, what's the word? Yeah, that's it. Senior moment there, wow. So anyway... Whenever you try to do that, you're doing something out of love. You're giving something to help somebody that needs, right? So we understand that concept. And that's where the word grace comes from. The Greek word for grace is charis. And that's where these words charity and charitable come from. And so grace is an expression of love. Grace is expressing love, and love needs to be expressed. That's why giving and grace and all of these things are deeply rooted in love and connected with love and overlap with love. So it's important for us to understand the giving nature of God and that God sacrificed. Jesus gave his life. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus became the sacrifice for us. And so if we see that kind of love, if we understand that self-sacrificing love for the well-being of others, then we see what God did for us. And when we see what God does for us and we understand that we are deeply loved. I was counseling a young lady last week she has a little daughter, little two-year-old daughter. And for her homework that week, I'd ask her to write, to journal, how much she loves her daughter. Because I asked her, who do you love more than anybody in the world? She said, my daughter. So I said, I want you to write it all down. Write down how you feel about your daughter, how much you love her. And so she did that. She read that to me. It was a beautiful thing. 
And then I looked at her and I said, now I want you to read it again as if God is reading that to you. And she did that and she just started weeping and she said, I just can't believe it. I can't believe that God loves me that much. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And when we understand the love that God has for us, the deep and abiding, unconditional love that God has for us, we then can love others in return. We are changed. We are moved. The scripture says we love God because he first loved us. I want to share with you 1 John chapter 4. That was verse 19 that I just quoted. We love God because he first loved us. But now I want to share with you verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us. Now I'm not going to read the rest of it just yet, but let's just think about that for a moment. God is love. If we love one another, God lives. God dwells in us. Spend some time with that. In fact, I really encourage you this next week to read 1 John. It won't take you 10 or 15 minutes. Five short chapters. Read 1 John. And then go back with a notebook and read it again very slowly and carefully and prayerfully and take notes on everything that you can learn about love in that short letter. It is a beautiful letter. It will be such a blessing to you if you will study 1 John and everything that he says about love. So let's go on. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love, think about this, his love is perfected in us. The love of God becomes perfected or completed in us when we are loving others. Now you take this with Romans 5 verse 5, which says, the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So God is pouring himself. He is pouring his love into us through the Holy Spirit that lives, dwells, abides in us. And we then are empowered and able to love others with the love whereby God loves us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful to realize that with God dwelling in us, we can love better than we could without him? We have a love flowing within us that allows us to love well. So the love of God is made complete. In other words, it is doing what it is supposed to do, what is it intended to do. The goal of purpose of God's love is being lived out in us when we love each other. 
Verse 16 says, all who live in love live in God. So this morning, think about what does it mean to live in love? What does it mean to live my life loving? Live my life receiving love, giving love, living in love. That's the way that Christians are to live their lives. They are to live their lives loving other people, loving one another. Remember, Jesus said in Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than receive. Give, serve, help, sacrifice. There's so many things that we could say about love, but I want to just say this. I'm not good at French, so just overlook this pronunciation, okay? Jean Vanet, he wrote in his book, Becoming Human, and I think this is so beautiful. Love is to reveal the beauty of the other person to themselves. I want you to think about that. Love is to reveal the beauty of the other person to themselves. Now I want you to think about your relationships. Think about your love relationships. I guess the place we always start usually is family, right? Family, friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your church family. Those are the people that we most immediately think about when we think about loving others. We have the opportunity there, don't we? The people in your own household, you got a great opportunity to love those people. The people in your church family, you have a great opportunity to love those people. Ask yourself, do I live and love in such a way that the other person is able to see their own value and beauty? Wouldn't that be great if we did that? Wouldn't that be awesome if we constantly treated people in such a way that they would be able to see and hear from us how wonderful and how beautiful they are? I really encourage you to try to live like that. Try to treat people like that. So many times we do just the opposite. So many times we put people down, we cut people down. So many times we cause people to feel bad about themselves. So many times we do and say things that hurt other people. We devalue people. Let's change that. So how do I learn to love? How do I love well? Well, 
it requires growing up emotionally. Yeah. As long as we're content to stay in an emotionally unhealthy condition, as long as we're content to pout, to be sarcastic, to withdraw, to condemn and criticize, as long as we're content, uh, content to be all of these things that we've talked about already today, we're not going to grow into Christ-likeness. Just not. You're not going to be able to love other people very well, and consequently, you're not going to be able to love God very well. So, how do we overcome? How do we grow? Well, first of all, we can learn new skills. If you want to learn how to do something, there are ways of learning how to do that. Probably the most common way to learn how to do something now is just YouTube it, Google it. See what you can learn there, you know? But think about learning skills to love well. How about communication? Listening? Do we really listen to the other person? Do we really observe the other person? Do we watch? Do we learn? Do we recognize how they're wired? Do we really see their personality? Do we know their gifts? Do we learn how to interact with them and how not to? Do we learn what's best for that person? Do we even know what's best for that person? Do we truly know their psychological and emotional needs? That's what I mean by listening. Pay attention. Show compassion. And be present. Folks, we're living in a day and time where people are rarely present in the company of their loved ones. You walk in a restaurant and you see a family of five sitting there and every last one of them is on the phone. Nobody's talking at all. You can walk in living rooms and see that. We need to put away the electronic devices. We need to get off of social media and we need to get face to face with one another and spend time with each other. Build relationships. Build healthy relationships. When you can't even talk to someone in person because the only way you know how to communicate is texting, something is wrong. We need relationships. We need to grow in relationality. We need to learn skills. In communication, whenever there's a problem, whenever there's a crisis, whenever there's a conflict, most Christians don't know how to deal with conflict. They don't. They just get mad. They blow up. 
They walk out, whatever. They don't know how to deal with conflict. Don't know how to deal with their negative emotions. Get angry at what do people do. What are the kinds of things that people do when they get angry? You know, you've seen them. You may see it weekly or even daily, even in your own family. People have anger issues. They don't know how to deal with their anger. And so what do they do? They lash out. They attack. Or they run away. Those are not healthy ways to communicate. We need to learn how to listen. In times of conflict especially. Listen to the other person. Don't interrupt the other person when you're trying to solve a problem. You're trying to deal with conflict. It's no big deal, really, when I'm telling a story and I said something happened on Thursday and my wife says, oh, no, that happened on Friday. Okay, whatever. I don't mind her interrupting me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dealing with conflict. So in those situations, let the other person talk and don't interrupt them. Don't say anything until they're finished talking. And then ask them, is there anything more you would like to say? Then repeat the gist of what you believe you heard them say and ask them, is this what you're saying or this is what I'm hearing? And then if they agree, if they hear what you say back and they agree with it, then you know you have listened well. They know you have listened well. Right? Don't assume things. So many problems could be resolved if we would stop assuming. Well, I thought you were going to Look, instead of assuming, communicate. Communicate, clarify expectations. So this is what you're going to do. This is when you're going to do it. This is when you'll be finished, whatever, you know. Communicate with each other so I can trust that you're going to take out the trash on trash day Monday morning before the trash comes. Right, Daniel? You're going to take out the trash Monday. Do you understand? Is that... Are you good with that? Okay, so now see, I can expect Daniel to do that. See, we make an agreement. And maybe, maybe Daniel doesn't want to take out the trash, or maybe he can't take out the trash that time. So he needs to tell me, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Or even if there's some doubt, you know, I may or I may not be able to do that. might be best if you get somebody else to do it. You know, it, we just need to know. I don't need to assume that he's going to take out the trash, and I don't need to expect him to do something that he's not told me he's going to do. We can't read minds, folks. Don't expect your spouse or whoever in your family to read your mind. If you expect something to be done, just tell them straight up. And see if they agree with that. Let's make an agreement here before we expect anything, okay? 
Understand one another means also realizing that we all have triggers. We all have things that trigger us from our past. You know, the way you say something, the tone of voice, the way you handle something, that could very possibly trigger, set off an alarm in the, in the person that you're talking to. Once you learn that kind of thing, then don't do that to that person, okay? Don't do that to them. There are all kinds of ways that we can set off alarms with people, and we're not even aware of it if we're not paying attention and we're not getting to know this person. So all of these things are part of communication. Um, I want to go back and very quickly talk about habituation, substitution, what's on this page, and I'll be finished. All right? How do I deal with negative emotions? When I have a negative emotion arise, what do I do about that? We all have them, right? Okay, first of all, go back to everything I've already said. Love never fails. So if you are intentionally doing your best to love well, that's going to take care of a lot. You know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> and that works both ways, yours and theirs. So if we are loving... If we are helping the other person to see their goodness and beauty, if we are doing what's in the best interests of the other person, if we are treating them the way that we would like to be treated, all those kinds of things, if we are loving well, that's the first and best place to start. But I'm going to give you some other things that can help. I don't want to spend much time on this I don't want to bore you and and honestly I don't know all that much about it but the fact is the way that the brain works neurons and chemicals are at work in our brains and when we have certain emotions it sets off these reactions in our brains okay and the brain develops pathways. So in other words, when you have a good emotion, that registers a pathway. These neurons and chemicals form a pathway. And so when you repeat that, and you repeat it again, and again and again, you have created a path in your brain so that when certain things happen that elicit this emotion, this same kind of thing goes down this path. This reaction happens again and travels this pathway to the brain. The point of all of that is this. Negative emotions develop pathways and positive emotions develop pathways. 
and it works the same. So if you constantly repeat or feed the negative emotions, you're developing a pathway. And so the thing to do is to under, understanding this kind of information, make it a point to be intentional about putting yourself in situations where you can experience positive emotions. For example, there are certain things, there are certain activities, there are certain situations, there are certain people who are life-giving to us, right? We feel good when we're around these people. The experiences that we have with them are positive and good. We feel good about ourselves. We feel good about them. We feel good about being alive. There are wonderful things that help put us in a good place emotionally, right? Okay, keep doing those things. Keep doing the things that are good for you, that are life-giving for you. Substitution. I think we all understand the concept of uh, sometimes substitution is a bad thing. We talk about in CR, sometimes uh, people will overcome an addiction in one area, but the way that they overcome it is by replacing it with an addiction in another area, a different kind of addiction, right? And that's called substitution. You're, you're still addicted, you're just addicted to something else and in, in most cases it's something else that's destructive but if if we can learn whenever we are experiencing a bad emotion to do something that helps to create positive emotions that's why we tell people in CR to have a sponsor because one of the best things you can do when you start to have a negative emotion, when your thinking starts going bad, and if you don't do something, you're probably going to act out in a destructive way. Before you act out, before you do something that will hurt yourself or somebody else, you talk to your sponsor. You call your accountability partner. Because here's the thing. Studies have proven that when you get around other people, people that are good for you, people that you enjoy, that kind of thing, those chemicals and those neurons start acting up again in a very good way. And it changes your state of mind. So that's another reason we need people. When people spiral downward in addictions or depression or various things like that, they typically withdraw from people. When you withdraw from people, you're making it worse. You're making it worse. People can help. Your brothers and sisters in Christ can help. Your loved ones can help. But so many times we turn and run away from them when we're in our struggle or in our crisis. So substitute negative emotions with positive emotions. 
Here's something interesting. You know when babies get upset and they're crying and screaming and everything? What does a mother do most of the time? She'll hold that baby and she will rock that baby. You jiggle, you move around, whatever, you know, you get in a rocking chair and you rock and all that kind of thing. Again, studies have shown that rhythmic activities calm the emotions. Rhythmic activities calm the emotions. I noticed this about myself for many years, and I first noticed it a long, long time ago. My mama must have rocked me a lot because when I get upset, I typically will get in my rocker recliner and I will rock and rock and rock. Another thing about this rhythmic, this constant rhythm, is music. Music can be very therapeutic, it can be very... A playlist of songs and that comfort me. I don't know if you do, <laughs> but I do. I have a list of songs that comfort me. I have a list of songs that uh, I can listen to them and feel happy. There are other songs that I can listen to. I have a, a, a list of instrumentals, just very, very simple piano or violin, things like that, and it really calms me down to listen to that. Folks, you got to find what works. Find what works. If staring into a fish tank helps you emotionally, that's okay. Get you an aquarium. Look at the fish. It's great. So the point is we can do some things, some practical things about our negative emotions. You're going to do something. You're going to do something. It may be slam a door and stomp out and throw out some expletive on the way, but you're going to do something. You may go to the refrigerator, get some comfort food, find your peace there. You may go grab a bottle. You may go to a strip club. There's all kinds of things that people do. You may go play video games. People do all kinds of things whenever they get emotional and don't know how to deal with them in positive ways. They will go do something. They might put a fist through a wall. But they're going to do something. You literally can train your brain and make positive pathways so that when you get emotional, you can do good things. And the last thing I'm going to say is this. I really want to encourage you to spend some significant time 
in Philippians chapter 4. You can write this down. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. That's where he starts and says, Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Remember that? Don't worry about anything, but instead of worrying about those things, whatever you're worried about, pray about those things. Okay? And then he tells us that there are some things that he wants us to think about. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is just. Now, most of you have read all these verses time and time again, but here's what I want you to do. Get a sheet of paper, make it landscape, make some columns, and put each one of these words, make a column for each one of these words, okay? Make a, make a column for lovely. Make a column for pure. Make a column for all of these things. And then take some time, and in each one of these columns, fill in as many things as you can think of that are lovely or that are beautiful or pure or just or honorable. Just fill them in. Take the time to think about it and write down all of, fill up these columns with all of these good things. And here's the thing. Every single thing on that sheet of paper is going to be something good. It's going to be something very good. Now, don't throw the sheet of paper away. Save it. Use it. So when you get in a bad place, when you're having negative emotions, go and pull out your paper and remind yourself of all of these good things. And when you do that, God has created you so that the neurons and the chemicals in your brain are going to change from what they were doing with the negative emotions to the things that you are now thinking about that are good. Now, all of this, remember, is important for one simple reason. That's so that our relationship with God and others can be healthy because we are healthy. So long as we continue to live in an unhealthy, dysfunctional, emotional state, we are going to have problems with our relationships, and that includes our relationship with God. All right? So, praise team, come to the stage. We're going to have a final song, and uh, nope, we're going to have communion. Sorry about that. I'm so used to, we used to do services the other way. So we're going to have a song, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And I apologize. 
I've been looking at that clock thinking the whole time that the sermon was the last thing. And I thought, we got plenty of time. So I think I talked way too long. Sorry, folks.